You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Today we are continuing our series called Sunday School. How many people in the room or online, you can raise your hand as well, or in Blairsville, how many people have ever experienced Sunday School, either as a child or as an adult? Okay, great, good. Sunday School, what a cool thing, what a cool concept that children would want to spend five days at school in class with a teacher and then on Sunday morning come to church an hour early just to stand in front of a felt board and hear the stories of again. Yeah, Sunday school. As a child, uh, I had the best Sunday school teacher in the entire world, in the entire history of the world. My parents were church planters, so we didn't have staff. My parents led everything in the church. We never grew the church very big, but God was faithful and changed lives. But I had the best Sunday school teacher. He was the pastor of the church. He was my dad. He prioritized teaching those that were younger principles out of the word of God in a narrative form in Sunday school. And man, he invested in us. He's listening this morning. I love you, dad. About to tear up a little bit. Mom did a good job too in Sunday school, but she preferred teaching the adults because they didn't get up to go to the bathroom every 30 seconds. Uh, So dad, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, all of you that have taught Sunday school. Um, Although we do not have that necessarily here at Summit, we would encourage you, you can start a Sunday school small group. You can do that. Make it happen. Talk to us after service and we'll get it together. Well, as you might have already noticed, uh, today we are telling a story. You might have guessed. It is the story of Jonah and the whale. Uh, Oh, sorry. Uh, Can we change this? Uh, No, Daniel and the lion's den today. I'm so excited to share this story with you. Um, You may be familiar with this story, but just in case you've not heard it before, I wanna tell you this story in a very unique way. I'm gonna teach from it, but we've got some very high paid voice actors that put something together with our creative team here at Summit. And we wanna show you this story. So turn your attention to the screen. Here we go. some food? No. You want some dessert? No. The next morning, the king went to check on Daniel and yelled, are you alive, bro? <laughs> Andrew showed up and then he was And then everybody knew about God. Everybody knew that God was going to save anybody that he put in, that they knew that they believe in him. So after that, they all believe in him. <laughs> Can we get up for a creative team? Yeah. 
I don't know if you recognize the voices, but those were some pastor's kids. And uh, they did an okay job of telling the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Thank you to Pastor Kendall, Ashley Bennett did a great job, and our team putting that together. That's a fun way to look at Daniel and the lion's den. Well, since we're speaking to adults mostly this morning, uh, there may be some kids in Blairsville, or some kids watching online, uh, but we're going to take a little deeper look at this story about Daniel. Let's, before we dig in, we're going to go to the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible with you, kudos, gold star for you. Pull that bad boy out and start flipping those pages to the sixth chapter of Daniel. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this book of Daniel. Because the book of Daniel is made up of 12 different chapters that make up one book. The first six chapters focus on more of a narrative, uh, more of a story told about God's people's experience, specifically around Daniel and a few other characters and what it looked like for them to live in exile in Babylon. The last six chapters of the book of Daniel actually focus on the prophetic word from God through Daniel to God's people about their current state and even the future for us today. Again, we're not going to get into all the prophecy stuff. That's a little confusing sometimes. We're just going to focus on a very simple, easy to learn children's story of Daniel and some lions. In the first six chapters, there's an overarching theme for each one of the chapters. And it's the same for all six. It's this one, God's people stand firm in their convictions under threat of persecution. Secondly, God honors and protects those who remain faithful to him. And third, the testimony of God's work causes unbelievers and even kings to declare the greatness of the one true God. Wow, they're really good stories. I would encourage you to take a look at the book of Daniel this week. Read the first six chapters with your kids and then um, dismiss them as you read the last six because those are a little hard to understand a little bit. But read those, just take a little bit of time this week. Now, as we consider that theme, that those three elements, God's people standing firm in their convictions, God honoring them, and then ultimately even unbelievers declaring the supremacy of the one true God, let's look at Daniel. Daniel came into exile, into Babylon at about 17 years of age, 17 or 18. He was part of a few chosen men from the Hebrew people that were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar into his own court. They were taught the culture, the ways. They were taught all kinds of literature, multiple languages so that they could help the king understand the people he was over, but also so he could use them, the very best of God's people Israel to serve him and his kingdom. Daniel himself served under three different rulers, actually four, but three different kingdoms. And we'll see the third ruler today. Daniel had some friends. Daniel had a small group. He was a man. And what do you know? It was an all men small group. Men, if you don't have a small group, find one. Ladies, help your man find a small group. Daniel had a few men in his small group. You might know their names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You don't know those names? How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay, those are Sunday school names. Those are the same guys. Okay, different. Okay, they were given names by Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, it's confusing sometimes. But they were in Daniel's small group. It says they prayed together, spent time together, and sought the will of God together. That is a small group, folks. 
Daniel was given a very special gift, a spiritual gift that is in the word of God that we read and we believe that is available to all of us by the Holy Spirit to interpret dreams and visions. This gift allowed him to excel in all kinds of learning, but also gave him a position of favor in all three kingdoms that he served under. Daniel grew in favor with kings as he interpreted each one of them a dream or a vision. He lived through three different rulers and was sustained for 70 years in exile by God and favored by him. That's where we're gonna start as we look at the text of this story in Daniel chapter six, starting in verse one. Read with me either on the screen or in your Bible, follow along. It says this, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of them was, or one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his, circle this in your Bible, exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now there's some talk here about governors and satraps and all these different uh, positions. Listen, this was the structure. Babylon was under the rule at this time of King Darius. He was part of a, the Meso-Persian Empire, which had two different kings, the greater king being the king of Persia, and then the lesser king being the king of the Medes, Darius. At the time, he was the one that was given charge over Babylon. All that to say, Darius was in charge. Underneath Darius, there were three administrators who were like, okay, his number one, two, and three men. And of those men, the regional governors that numbered 120 answered up to them. This way the king could go along doing king things and enjoying that king life and doing everything that kings do. I don't know what that is. But he didn't have to worry about loss because these three were appointed over all things of his kingdom and he trusted them that he would not fail in advancing his empire and doing well with what he had. Now, again, this was the lesser king, Darius, who was very new at his job as we enter into the story in chapter six. He was out to prove himself, not only faithful to the king of Persia, but to prove himself as a good king. So in that context, we see this leadership structure set out. Now, in ancient times, especially the Persian empire was very different from the structure of government that we have here in the United States today and throughout the world in most places. But there is one thing that I found in common between today and our government and the way we operate, unfortunately, and the Persian empire. You see, it says that the king was about to give Daniel the number one position in the land because he had exceptional qualities. He was planning to set him over the whole kingdom. Well, just like today in our structure of government, someone leaked it to the media. News got out that Daniel was about to take the number one spot. People got jealous. It was a problem. It would have been the headline in the New York Times. Would have been a hit piece on Daniel. Let's look at a couple characteristics of Daniel, though, as we read through the story. The first thing that I want to point out is that Daniel was a man of character. Character. A man of character is hard to find. God knew Daniel was a man of character, that he could trust him. He was of exceptional quality. You see, it wasn't just Darius, but it was the two previous kings and the fourth king that would come soon, the king of Persia, that would find Daniel was a man of character. He was exceptional in everything that he did. 
These qualities gave him favor with the kings and opened the door for him to display the power of God in him. Let's move on to verse four. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to found, find grounds for charges against Daniel in his, context of government, in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Why do they mention this? Why is this information important? Again, the context being that these other 122 leaders that would soon be under Daniel got very jealous. You see, it could be possible that these 122 other different leaders moved into the region when King Darius came, the king of the Medes. These men were possibly Medes or Persians and Daniel may have been the only one selected from the tribe, from God's people, Israel, from Hebrew people who were in exile. And here he is, an exile that is about to lead them. This is a big problem. But in the midst of all this, it said that they could find no corruption in him. The most powerful people in Babylon at the time, minus the king, were trying to put a dossier together. That just means a folder with a bunch of information of pictures, of of, uh, backroom deals that he had done, of quid pro quos, of late night tarmac conversations. Okay, all this thing, I mean, CIA type stuff. But they couldn't find anything. When they collected all that they had, the folder was empty. You see, it says that there was no evidence of corruption. That's right, quid pro quos, cutting corners, paying people off, taking bribes, giving bribes. No, he was a man of character. He didn't do that. But also they could find no evidence of negligence. That means that Daniel did not fail in his responsibilities to rule well. The king did not see any loss when Daniel was in charge. That's why he was gonna put him over all things. Even negligence, he was good with. He did not have any, sorry, he was not found negligent in anything that he did. The only thing that these men could attack Daniel was his devotion to God. It says a lot about somebody, the enemies that you keep, doesn't it? We'll find out here in just a second. You see, at the time, Daniel was legally allowed by the law of the land, as long as he honored the king, honored the king's edicts and his will and served him faithfully, he could serve the one true God. He could serve the God of the Hebrews. I'm sure there were some parameters there. I don't think he could probably um, uh, proselytize or evangelize the area at the time, but he was able to serve the one true God. This was not illegal until verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors, again, don't let that trip you up. It's a bunch of the people that were in charge, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Man, they're really buttering this guy up. If you go to work tomorrow or you go to the office and somebody comes into your office with a whole brood of people and they're praising you, oh, your majesty, oh, good king, no one's like you. They're about to ask you to do something. Be very suspicious. It may not be something you want. Verse eight, now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. 
It's interesting in our country today, we have elections. I appreciate that. And the first day after victory is all a bunch of this, right? Woo, yeah, me, me. First couple days of office, maybe the first week of office is all about just making media appearances and letting people know you voted for the right guy. But very soon into that first week, we see our commander in chief sitting at a desk and he's got a whole line of special pins, right? You know where I'm getting at? And then there's people standing next to him with folders and folders and folders. And what's happened with every, every president in my lifetime, it's been a little while, they get on and they start signing, whoop, and they fold it up and they hand it with some, oh, you want the pen? Here you go. Very special. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Presidential decree. Sure. Whoop, whoop. We call this something a little different, but that's what's happening right now with Darius. He was very early on in his reign over Babylon. And they said, hey, we're going to put some paper on your desk. We just need you to sign it. It's a thing. It's good for you. It'll prove that you're strong. Everybody will worship you for the next 30 days. Okay, sure. Yep. Yep. Got it. I don't know if Darius really read what he was writing or what he was signing, but he signed it nonetheless. You see, I want to point this out. Daniel was a man of consistency. He was a man of character, but he was also a man of consistency. He was faithful. There was no accusation possible against the man unless it had to do with God, whom he was faithful to above all other things. It was very clear, very apparent that the number one priority of Daniel's life was God and serving him. This led him into this situation. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published or signed, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Again, this meant now he was an outlaw. This meant now he was breaking the law, doing something he knew was right. It says three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Consistency. Then these men went as a group, Again, the satraps, the governors, those guys, the bad guys. It says, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. As if he needed reminding of what he had just signed, they said this, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands. In accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. None of the royal decrees could be repealed or changed. There was no exception. When the king signed it, it was law. Verse 13. Then they said to the king, well, Daniel, who is one of your exiles from Judah, you know, one of those lesser people, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until the sun down, or until the sun down to save him. Then, men went, then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict of the king can be changed. Daniel was consistent in his walk with God. And although he was serving the one true king, the king that we see in this story was serving his own best interests. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go into a new job, 
Maybe you've been promoted into a position of higher management or administration and to immediately fire your number one asset or even worse, to kill them. Here's Darius and he had signed a death warrant for Daniel. It says that when these men came to him, again, not once, not twice, but three different times, he probably realized that he had been taken advantage of, that he had been fooled, and that this might risk his kingdom and his rulership over Babylon. You see, Daniel was quite an asset. And even we can assume that, okay, Daniel might've had some favor with him already, but even in a pure business standpoint, this could be the end to King Darius. You see, it was customary uh, for the Persians that if someone was found guilty of a crime, that the penalty was death, they had to be put to death that day that they were found doing it before sundown. That way the person couldn't get away. That way they couldn't think of a defense. That way the king couldn't change his mind. So they came to the king in the morning. They found Daniel at noon time prayer. Then they came to the, the king right after that, had him realize and recognize what he had done. And then they reminded him right before sundown, hey, don't forget, you got some work to do before you go to bed tonight. The king was greatly distressed and he did everything he could until sundown to save Daniel. But he wasn't sure that anything could be changed. Another thing I wanna point out is Daniel was a man of conviction. You see, this world needs men and women of character, consistency, but also conviction. Daniel continued to worship his God despite the threat of persecution like we've seen in the previous five chapters of God's people. He continued to do what was right even when other people didn't do what was right. If you hear the news or you hear political commentary today, you might hear commentators saying, all right, new rules. You cheat, I cheat. You do wrong, I do wrong. You fight dirty, I'm gonna fight dirty. Daniel did not do that, church. His example to us would be to do just this, do what is right, always what is right, even if others are changing the rules and changing the game. I said this earlier, it says a lot about somebody by the kind of enemies that they keep. Winston Churchill says this, you have enemies, good. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, I don't have any enemies and I try not to make any. You know what, that's good. I don't want you to go out this afternoon and just pick on your neighbor and try to pick a fight. (laughs) Don't do that, please. But listen, when you are doing right, when you are serving the one true king, There's a false king, he's called the king of the air, the king of this earth, and he will rain down evil and those that are influenced by evil to come against you. You have enemies, good. That means you stood up for something. You should be a person, a man, a woman, a teenager, a student, a business leader, a stay-at-home mom of conviction. You see, there's a lot of us today that might even be in this place or watching online or in Blairsville. I love you dearly, but you don't have any enemies. And that means you've not stood for anything. Again, don't go picking a fight with somebody. If you do, tell them it was some other pastor that told you to do it. My name is Pastor Todd. (laughs) But listen, if you let people walk all over you and you're wishy-washy all the time, you don't hold to any kind of conviction, you don't stand for anything, people will stand on you. And that means they're your king, not your enemy. 
Come on, we need to be a people of conviction. Do what is right always. Verse 16, so the king gave the order, he had to. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. My mom told me and always taught me, it's not just Daniel and a lion's den. It's not empty. It is a den of lions. That's very different. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. (laughs) I love that sweet reel of Pastor Todd swiping away the food. You know, you want some tea? No. You want some food? No. And then he thought about having some dessert. (laughs) Kids tell the best stories. The king had to do what he had to do and he felt terrible about it. Either he was worried about losing his position, killing an innocent man or both. Worried that he was being taken advantage of or that he would be seen as weak by the rulers over him. I don't know, but he didn't sleep at all that night. Verse 19 tells us that at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called Daniel in uh, in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered back, may the king live forever. May God send, God sent, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Again, he was a man of conviction. He did what was right always. Daniel knew who was the priority over King Darius. It was the one true king, the king of all kings, the creator of all things. And if you are pleasing him by your actions and you honor those that are around you the best that you can, he will be the one to sustain you because kings are held powerless by their own words and their own edicts. Daniel was a man of conscience. After being falsely accused and spending the night in the lion's den, Daniel still had a clean conscience. He said, oh, king, I've done no hurt to you. I've done no harm to you. You see, that was his testimony. That's what he stood on. Daniel was a man of conscience. It's interesting. I I noted this in the last service. It's interesting as soon as the edict was published and, and Daniel heard about it, right? He didn't go up to the king. Hey, man, what are you trying to do? You're gonna have me killed. No, he didn't take that approach. And he also didn't go after the guys that like co-sponsored the bill. Man, what do you think you're doing? I've got a dossier full of dirty stuff that's in your past. Oh yeah, you wanna go that way? We can do it. No, no. He had a conscience. I will do no harm. I will do no hurt. I will do nothing wrong to the king because I'm serving the one true king. Verse 23 tells us this, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At this point in the Sunday school lesson, we would hold out Daniel in front of the whole class and everybody would cheer, yay, Daniel, woo, and that is the end, perfect. Yay, you don't have to be afraid of lions, little ones. Hmm, I don't know about that. Have you ever been to the Erie Zoo? My boys and I have gotten to go a couple of times. 
and they're 10, nine and six, and they love to go right up against the glass as though those gigantic cats are like sleeping, like napping and dreaming and they're like twitching and stuff. And they're right up on the glass. Hey, what are you doing? And they don't care. They're just another kid. Like you, I'm trying to sleep over here. You just chill. We don't need to be afraid of lions. There's gigantic glass that's like, I don't know, like three inches thick between you and them. And no matter that their hands are this big, I mean, their paws and their teeth are like this long, right? We don't have to be scared of lions. But I tell you what, have you ever seen them when it's feeding time? Have you ever seen how fast they wake up from a deep, dark sleep and rush to that feeding door as soon as fresh meat comes in? Yeah, I don't know if it's about not being scared of lions. That just seems uh, like a bad plan, okay? There is so much more to this. Daniel was a man of courage. But see, Daniel was reasonable. He was a man of courage. He knew what he was facing. He knew what powers the king had, but he had courage. What does that mean? Did he not fear? Did he not have any doubt? He might have. That's not the definition of courage. The definition of courage is that you stand in the midst of danger and you stand resolute no matter what your fears are. Courage. There are people that are very stupid that can be courageous. I don't think they're courageous. They're just dumb. Daniel was courageous because he believed in his God. I want to make two quick observations about Daniel. You see, there seems to be two elements that are invisible, but tangible in these stories that allow Daniel to walk through this very difficult time, this very difficult instance. One of those being God's presence and the other being God's promise. You see, in Sunday school, um, our Daniel looks probably like this. Maybe that's what he looked like when you were in Sunday school or taught Sunday school. Uh, He looks like a a young man. I mean, he's got a beard, so who knows how old he is. Uh, But he looks like a young man. But in this story, it's estimated that Daniel was about 85, 86 years old. Do you think Daniel stood a chance fighting a lion at 17 or 18 or 35? Definitely not at 85 or 86. You see, he had been in exile a very long time. And these two elements he consistently pursued. The first one being God's presence. You see, Daniel was about to stand one of the most difficult tests that we see in all of exile of God's people, the 70 years, but still he prioritized time with God. He didn't go to the king. He didn't go to his friends. He didn't try to leave town. He went back up to his house. He put on his Sunday morning worship playlist from Summit Church. It's on Spotify. You guys can worship with us all week long. But he went up and he got in the presence of God. He prepared a place, not just daily, multiple times a day to sit in the presence of God. This is what sustained him. Daniel prayed and spent time with God multiple times a day. And in the presence of God, God favored him and showed him the gifts that were inside of him for such a time as this. Throughout exile, God revealed in Daniel this great gift, this spiritual gift of discerning dreams and visions, interpreting them for kings. It was in the presence of God, and it still is today in the presence of God, those gifts are waiting for you and for me. 
Our theme for Thursday night for our men's event, if you've already forgotten men, is built different. You see, we should be built different. Our life should look different, but we're not going out into public. We're not gonna look to popular, um, uh, to pop culture today to be any different. No, people look to pop culture to be the same. We go to the presence of God to be built different. Daniel found contentment in the presence of God. Listen, he denied himself all the pleasures and the sweet things that were offered to him by the kings that he served. He found contentment. If you are content with what you have, you will not waste time chasing things that were never yours to have. Daniel found rest in the presence of God. I wonder if as the king woke up, well, as he got up after a sleepless night and he raced towards the den of lions at the very first light of dawn, if when he rolled the stone away and yelled down to Daniel, if Daniel just previous to that was trying to look out, trying to see if there was a sliver of sunshine from the morning dawn coming through the door so he could start his morning prayer routine. He was in the presence of an angel, it says, in the den of lions. No doubt he spent time worshiping because he was so familiar at 86 years old, consistently pursuing the presence of God. He knew when it was time to spend time with God. The second element that sustained Daniel throughout this entire time of exile was God's promise. Now, this is where we're gonna get a little nerdy. So if you're taking notes, please be ready with that pen. This is gonna be real good. I love researching ancient culture around these texts. You see here at Summit Church, we believe that we serve the living God, a God that is active. He is moving and he is at work always. He's not dead, he's alive. We have a benefit of knowing the New Testament in Romans chapter 8, 28. This is a good one to memorize, by the way. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now listen, Daniel didn't know this scripture. He also didn't know the scripture out of Matthew chapter six that Christina shared. If you're watching online, you can rewind it. But that same scripture says that the world and unbelievers, those that don't serve the one true king are worried about what they're gonna have and what they're gonna eat and what they're gonna wear. But the ones that believe in the one true God have nothing to worry about because he's at work, he's living, he's alive and he's for you. Last week, if you heard uh, the beginning of this series, as Pastor Kim talked about, uh, Peter walking on water. That was so fun. If you didn't watch it, if you didn't see it, please go back. You can get on the website and uh, watch it. It was so good. One of the things she pointed out was that Hebrew men by the age of 17 were expected to memorize almost the entirety, if not the entire Old Testament scriptures, every book. And no, 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 I don't just mean the names of each book. My kids can do that. My six-year-old can do that. No, these men at 17 and 18 years of age would know every single word and stanza of the Old Testament scriptures. That's pretty wild. We have a hard time memorizing Romans 8, 28. It's okay, start there. Start growing in your understanding of the promise of God because the promise of God is what sustained Daniel. You see, the prophet Jeremiah Long before captivity and even up to the captivity of God's people, the prophetic words of the Old Testament spoke of what would take place. It's like God knows the future or something. Go figure. (laughs) Prophetic speech, again, is God's word through the mouth of his people to his people, giving them assurance that he is in control and he has a plan. 
Check this out in uh, Jeremiah 29. We're gonna look in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. Think about this. Let's do math real quick. Daniel was taken into captivity at about 17. Some estimate that he was about 86 years old when he was put into the lion's den. Okay, that's 69 years of age, if my calculations are right. Anybody check me on that? 69, right? Okay. Now read this in Jeremiah 29, 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know this. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. Listen to this. I will bring you back to the place from which, circle this in your Bible, I carried you into exile. Mm, there's a lot in this promise. Most of us just know Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's a cool bumper sticker and it's a nice one to remember. Listen, that, this is an example in God's word, just a side note here, of a principle for us today, but a promise for God's people in this time, in this age, in their exile. It was a very specific promise. As you can see, it says 70 years in Babylon. Daniel would have been close to that 70-year mark in exile at 86 years old. You see, if Daniel memorized God's word, spent time in his presence and dedicated himself to reciting or worshiping God by reciting the word, he would have said this tons of times as they were in captivity, 70 years, 70 years. This is God's promise and he will fulfill it. It also says in here, and you will call on me and come and pray to me, the presence of God, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. This is the promise of God to Daniel, the principle for God's people today. But Daniel lived this out because he believed it was true. Listen, God's word is a promise, every last letter of it. And God does not lie. He will not change his mind. It also says here at the very end, I told you to circle it. It said, and will bring you back to the place, Jerusalem, from which I carried you into exile. Daniel knew that he was not alone, even in the lion's den, even when he was serving kings that didn't have God's best interest in mind. He knew that God, the entirety of his life was carrying him in purpose, in the plan and the promise that God had for him. Friend, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He is carrying you today, whether you recognize it or not. And if you have submitted your heart to him, you will begin to see the promise that he carries you no matter what you face. I don't know if any of you are exiles today. If you are, I love you. Let's talk after service. If any of you have been lowered down into a lion's pit, I'd really like to talk to you after service. That'd be cool. Good story. You're here. I'm glad. But Daniel knew the promise of God. It's crazy. Again, I said it. It's like God knows what he's doing or something. Go figure. He's God. He probably should know what he's doing, right? He does know what he's doing. He has a plan and he reveals it to his people through his word. Maybe we should know it a little more. You see, Daniel was serving King Darius. This is the third ruler and the third kingdom that Daniel had served under. This is where it gets really cool, all right? A little nerdy here. You see, the Medo-Persian Empire, again, was made up of the Medes, Darius, who was the leader of the Medes, and this king of Persia. 
who had advanced the kingdom that would one day become a great empire under his rule and one day would become the empire of Rome. This empire would be responsible for advancing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection through Roman soldiers and centurions and citizens all over the known world. We're not there yet, but in this story, this is where we're going with this Medo Persian empire. Now, Darius served at the pleasure of the Persian king. Daniel, no doubt, read reports or gave reports probably from Darius to this Persian king. He would have known his name very well because he was a professional and knew his job really well in the courts of King Darius. But he also knew God's promise. God's promise names this king of Persia by name 23 different times in Old Testament prophetic literature, some of them written 150 years before he was actually born. I'm just going to pause for a second. It's like God knows what he's doing. 23 times this man, the king of Persia, Cyrus, is mentioned. Look at Isaiah 44 here. The last verse of 44, chapter 44, and the first verse of 45. Now God is speaking of himself. So he, if I read this, read into this a little bit, he would say like, it is I, God, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. Who's in control here? Cyrus or God? God. All that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Now, when Israel left Jerusalem, it was completely destroyed by fire. The foundations were burned, the gates were unhung, and the walls were destroyed. The temple was ransacked, and then it was burned. It was defiled and then burned. All the the sacred elements were taken into captivity into Babylon with God's people, but not for God's people, for the king. And here God is displaying his glory and his majesty the one true God, the King of Kings, letting his people know 150 years before the man is even born, hey, I'm gonna rise up a king of Persia. His name's gonna be Cyrus, just to let you know. And I'm gonna take him by the right hand and he is not gonna do anything outside of my control. I'm gonna wield him and I'm gonna use him to tell the whole world that the people that are exiled from Israel in Babylon will be returning back to Jerusalem. And not only that, but Jerusalem will be rebuilt and the foundations of the temple will be laid out. Now, again, this sounds pretty prophetic. God's word through man to his people and to the world. But Cyrus, there's no evidence that Cyrus truly served God. Well, not voluntarily. Remember that scripture in Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to their purpose. God can even use your enemies to bless you, to provide for you, to bring freedom in your life. Cyrus was used by God. Daniel knew the promise of God because he knew the word of God. Cyrus is mentioned 23 times in the Old Testament. This is another cool thing. In the 70 years of exile, 
of God's chosen people into Babylon. In 70 years, the empire that ruled Babylon, although it changed hands three different times, this empire grew three or four times its size in just those 70 years. It was like God had a plan. And let me reveal a little bit of that plan to you. Because although they grew three times in size, Daniel was still sustained and was given favor with each one of the kings, including eventually this king of Persia. The empire became the instrument of God's sovereign hand at work, even though they did not serve the one true God. God can use anything for the good of those who love him and who are called according to purpose. The kings that Daniel served under, including Darius, declared the supremacy of Daniel's God, the one true God. And that happened throughout the Persian empire. Also, again, I said this empire grew three or four times greater than it had been at the beginning of Israel's exile. Let me tell you just, just a thought about why maybe that took place. Because shortly after this event of Daniel in the lion's den, within two or three years, historical context tells us that King Cyrus wrote a decree or had his secretary, his name's Ezra. There's another Old Testament book dedicated to Ezra. Oh, and King Cyrus also had a cup holder. His name was Nehemiah. Those are both in the Old Testament, by the way. They're all connected. But this king would write out an edict that required everyone in Babylon that had a neighbor that was an exile, so those that were Babylonians that lived next to exiles, to give of their wealth, gold, silver, and find jewels to bless them as they were released from exile. The king told all the people, listen, you are gonna give this amount of your income to bless these people on their way out. Sounds kind of like when God delivered his people out of Egypt, right? It's like he knew what he was doing. Also, he's gonna work on the heart of the king. Again, the empire advancing so greatly and being so uh, successful in conquest that God would use that empire to reach the ends of the known earth in order to provide every timber, every stone, everything that was used to rebuild the walls, the gates, and the temple of God in Jerusalem. You see, God can even advance kingdoms that are not submitted to him in order to fill his purpose to restore all that was lost. Now, my friend in the word of God is prophetic. It is a promise to us. Sometimes scripture is hard to chew on a little bit, but it's good for us to know it. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now that's a promise of God too. If you're gonna take the good ones, you gotta take the bad ones. Otherwise you end up like Benjamin Franklin, but that's another time. We will be persecuted if we stand for Christ. But if we stand, he will restore everything that was lost. He will redeem every word spoken against you. Every time someone tried to catch you in a trap, if you will stand in integrity and conviction and character as a follower of Jesus, because, you know, all those attributes belong to Jesus. You know, he was kind of the pinnacle example of all of that. If we truly follow him, we have a place to stand. It's in his presence and in his promise. You see, later in the book of Daniel, Daniel talks about the end of times and the second coming of Christ. Now, 
I certainly hope Jesus has not come back yet. I don't think he has. My plan is to be ready when he comes for us. But friend, he will come. He will fulfill his promise to restore everything that was lost, a new heaven, a new earth. He will take his people, his faithful unto himself into a great reward if we are faithful and we will stand. It's easy for us to look at the chaos in our country or in our community or maybe even our own home and say, I gotta deal with this first. I can't do this. No, stand on principle, stand on conviction. Don't be the loudest person in the room and don't be too proud when you're right. So many people get distracted from what is right because they wanna get into a fight and they start picking enemies one after the other for themselves. Stand with God, stand on his promise and his plan and he's the one that will do all the work necessary. Daniel was sustained by the promise and the presence of God throughout one of the most difficult times in the history of God's people. But through his integrity and his willingness to stand, God redeemed and returned all that was lost to his people. A great testimony that even kings, those in leadership and government would declare his supremacy and that he was the one true God. Again, I said, I'm not sure what you face at home or at work. Uh, I know that uh, we live in a culture today where it might be better for us not to listen to the news. I know that kind of sounds like a, like a cop out or like I'm just burying my head in the sand, but listen, there's really not very much good news today to hear of the world and of our country. But listen, there is good news in God's word. I don't know who you voted for in this last cycle or in the last two elections. Quite frankly, I don't need to know. Whether you favored the last guy or you favor the guy now, it doesn't matter because who's in control, God or him? Who's in control of your life, God or him? Now let me make it very clear. Daniel went before God and did what was right before God and did everything he could to do what was right towards the king as well. So don't let somebody lead you astray and gather you into something you don't want to do. I want to give us an opportunity to respond today. And so there in Blairsville, I want to release you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. I love you so much. I'm so glad I get to be your campus pastor. God bless you. Have a great weekend. I want us to take a minute here in Indiana and for those watching online, I want us to take a minute to respond to God's word today. I'm only able to preach this word because God preached this word to me for weeks. The Holy Spirit has pierced my heart over this story and so many things I couldn't even mention because I would just be broken here on stage, not even be able to get a word out. But listen, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me weeks ago and quite possibly right now in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. So is it proper? We should probably respond. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you give us understanding of these ancient texts, the word, the promise of God and Holy Spirit that you reside in us and you are God. And so where you reside, we are in God's presence. So Lord, in these next few minutes as we respond, I pray that you would lead us in a way that honors you. Your example, 
the example of Daniel. Lord, I thank you that there are many characters in the Old Testament that we would consider a quote-unquote type of our Savior Jesus. You see, Daniel was perfect in the way that he operated amongst kings and served. He was without blemish legally, although he was a human, not perfect as Christ was perfect, but he's a pretty good example of that. Lord, I thank you for these types that taught us that even when it cost him the most, he was willing to give his life. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave your life for us when it cost you everything so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be restored, so that we could have freedom and everything that was taken could be restored back to us. I wanna give an opportunity as heads are bowed and eyes are closed in the room right here and, and those online as well. I wanna give you an opportunity. If you're in the room today and you heard about this King of Kings, this God above all gods, the one true God, and you're not following him today, but you want to, I wanna give you an opportunity. You don't have to become a member of Summit Church. We'd love you to. You don't have to join a small group, but I tell you what, we'd love you to. But in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer with you. The word of God tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we're saved. That's how we start a relationship with this King of Kings. We believe in a God that sent his son, Jesus, who came, lived a spotless life for us, showed us the character of God and the love that God has for us. The authority that he has to forgive our sins. And he paid the price of our wrongdoing by giving his life for you. It didn't end there though, because on the third day, early morning, as the dawn rose, he rose up from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit and he was raised to new life so you can have new life. So if you're in this room today and you would say, I want to have a relationship with that redeemer, I wanna have a relationship with that God today, would you allow me the honor of knowing who I'm praying for? We're all gonna say it together. So I'm not gonna call you out, but just so I can know who I'm praying for and have that honor, would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me? Anybody in the room? I wanna start a relationship with Jesus. Would anybody in the room say that? I wanna start a relationship with the King of Kings. All right. Well, either one of two things are happening right now. Either we're all saved in here or we're not ready to be saved. Let me be very clear. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to pray a prayer with me. You can pray a prayer where you are, submit your life to God and he will respond to you and your life is eternally changed forever. But if you are in this room and you are a believer and you say that your life is submitted to God, I would encourage you, prioritize the presence and the promise of God in your life because this world will not get easier and we just read out of 2 Timothy where you will be persecuted if you are a follower of Christ. So we need to be ready, church. Can I pray a prayer of blessing over you today that you would be able to stand the test in the middle of chaos and difficulty and persecution? Would anybody by the raising of their hand say, yeah, you can pray for me, pastor. Would anybody say that? I wanna be able to stand faithful to God. Yeah, were you about to get a blessing? So let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your promise. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for your people. That you don't forget us when things get hard, you still see us. Even in the most traumatic events of our lives that we've walked through, we've never walked alone. But Lord, even if we didn't recognize you, you were there. 
And so Lord, as we pursue you and we pursue to be your people, I pray for those that would receive you and submit themselves to you, that you would sustain us in your presence and in your promise. Lord, let us dedicate your word to memory. Lord, let us meditate on your word and get a glimpse of your kingdom that has come, that is here right now and is yet to come. Lord, let us stand, men and women of conviction, character, consistency, so that we would stand the test. And Lord, when you return, we'll be ready for you. Bless them, Lord. Bless all of us, me included, God. I wanna stand too. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close out our time together? We're gonna share one last song together. And as we do, I want you to take a minute not to rush out. Please don't rush out. I can still see you. If you're online, yeah, well, do what you wanna do. Listen, take a minute right now as we share this last song led by Alicia. If that was you that said, I wanna stand, here's your opportunity to stand in the presence of God and confirm that with him and with his people. We said small groups are a big deal of community here at Summit Church. We also believe in prayer here. And so as we share this song, I would encourage you to join a community in agreement with those that are standing next to you in your row. You might know them. If you don't know them, you had one minute to know them earlier. So that's on you. But take a minute, come into agreement in prayer if you have a prayer need or come down front with one of these prayer team partners who's gonna be coming shortly. We would love to pray with you so that you can stand in the middle of whatever comes and be faithful to see God restore and make all things new. I love you. It's been an honor to share God's word with you today. God bless you. Have a great weekend. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.